0: This is TanakhCast. Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 147. We'll begin and conclude the book of Haggai with a brief summary of chapters 1 and 2 and some thoughts about the energy a building can bring to a city. Welcome to the 10th book in the book of 12, Haggai. Haggai comes to us at a unique time in the biblical narrative. He takes the prophetic stage during the period of Zion, or the return to Zion, when in 538 BCE, Cyrus, the king of the Achaemenid Empire in Persia, permitted the Jews to return home to the land of Israel, which also was under his control. Zerubbabel ben Shaltiel was appointed Pecha of Yehud Mendinata, and it is to him, as well as the religious leader, Joshua ben Yehud Sadak, the Kohen, that Haggai addresses his comments during the second year of the reign of Darius, which is in 520 BCE the burning issue of his day was not a villainous oppressor bearing down on the land of israel but the usual moral and economic crisis that threatened the fiber and resolve of the returning jews and this frayed resolve found expression in the doubt quote the time has not yet come for rebuilding the house of the lord though the reason for this hesitation was probably economic as the fledgling community surely didn't have the kind of resources to support such a massive project Hagai was not having it. Quote, Is it a time for you to dwell in your paneled houses while this house is lying in ruins? For the prophet, the lack of prosperity is the effect, not the cause. Quote, You have been expecting much and getting little, and when you brought it home, I would blow on it. Because of what? Says the Lord of hosts. Because of my house, which lies in ruins, while you all hurry to your own houses. That is why the skies above have withheld their moisture, and the earth has withheld its yield. Get it? Yeah. And you don't have to start big, just start. These words fall on receptive ears. The leadership and the people are mobilized. This is a marked departure from previous prophets who usually come to warn about the tearing down instead of praising the building up. And so in chapter 2, we have the prophecy of the 21st of Tishrei. The temple is about to be rebuilt, the foundation stone is set in place, but Haggai is aware that the road is long and expectations must be managed. Quote, who is there left among you who saw this house in its former splendor? How does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing to you. But be strong, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Be strong, O High Priest, Yoshua ben Yotzadak. Be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. for an act, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. So when Haggai prophesizes again on the 24th day of the ninth month, which is the month of Kislev, in the second year of the reign of Darius of Persia, it is addressed elliptically, metaphorically, to the Kohanim, the priests, quote, If a man is carrying sacrificial flesh in a fold of his garment, and with that fold touches bread, stew, wine, oil, or any other food, will the latter become holy? In reply, the priest said no. Chagai goes on, quote, If someone defiled by a corpse touches any of these, will it be defiled? And the priests responded, Yes. So let's unpack. The people's state of mind and the spirit is like the person defiled by a corpse. Whatever they touch fails, natural disasters pile on top of each other. How can the spread of this disease of misfortune be stemmed? Easy. Yeah. As Haggai says, quote, take note from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day when the foundation was laid for the Lord's temple. Take note while the seed is still in the granary and the vine, fig tree, pomegranate and olive tree have not yet borne fruit. For from this day on, I will send blessings. And 356 years almost to the day, 25 Kislev 164 BCE, the Maccabees rededicated the Temple of Jerusalem and provided the inspiration for the Hanukkah festival that little Jewish kids everywhere celebrate with the festive lighting of candles and the eating of potato latkes and jelly filled donuts. The last prophecy, also from the 24th of Kislev, is directed to Zrubavel. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. A world where the rule of law, not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. Judah will return to its former glory, and its leader, Zerubbabel, God, will, quote, make you as a signet, for I have chosen you. And on that upbeat note, here endeth the lesson. There's no more convincing argument than a building. You can argue all kinds of things in the abstract, but when you have a physical object in three-dimensional space, that's reality. fate accompli. And how that physical object impacts on reality, no! well, that, I guess, depends on you. Bilbao is an industrial port city in northern Spain. It's the de facto capital of the Basque Country. But like many industrial port cities in the late 20th century, Liverpool, Baltimore, and Bristol, for example, Bilbao fell on hard times. In 1991, the Basque government proposed to the Solomon R. Guggenheim Foundation that it funded Guggenheim Museum to be built in the dilapidated port area. The museum became part of a larger, more ambitious redevelopment plan that was meant to renew and modernize the industrial town. Almost immediately after its opening in 1997, the Guggenheim Bilbao became a popular tourist attraction, drawing visitors from around the world. Visitors spending on Bilbao for the first three years after the museum opened raised over 100 million euros in taxes for the regional government, enough to recoup construction costs and leave something over. Frank Geary's architectural success in Bilbao provided what seemed like a quick fix solution for many post-industrial cities in the 1990s and 2000s to not only replace their economic reliance on failing industry with tourism, but to reinvent themselves as capitals of high culture. The Bilbao effect was defined succinctly by Rowan Moore at The Guardian as, quote, a phenomenon whereby cultural investment plus showy architecture is supposed to equal economic uplift for cities down on their luck. Daniel Liebskind, who designed the Michael Leach in Crystal at Toronto's Royal Ontario Museum, which, in my opinion, is an affront to and an assault on pedestrians of this fine city, also designed the Imperial War Museum North, in an attempt to do for Greater Manchester, UK, what Geary did for Bilbao, or Yon Utsan did for Sydney with its iconic opera house, or Richard Rogers and Renzo Piano did for Paris with the Pompidou Centre. Could a building turn a city around? In a word, uh, nah. Three researchers, Joanna Ronkowitz, D. Carol Joins, and Norman Bradburn, analyzed new cultural facilities built in the U.S. between 1994 and 2008. And I'll put up a link to their final report entitled Set in Stone, Building America's New Generation of Arts Facilities 1994-2008 at TheNextJew.com. Boy, that's a really catchy title. And to make their long report short... They wanted to see if major facility projects, new museums, new expansions would have these positive net benefits to the surrounding urban area. They looked at case studies, surveys, and construction cost analyses and found that the museum building boom didn't bring the net benefit to communities predicted by the so-called Bilbao effect. True, poverty rates fell and property values generally rose in communities where new cultural centers or expansions were built, but wait for it. Poorer residents also suffered displacement in those areas. In Spain, since Bilbao, an estimated 45% of architecture firms in Spain have shut down since 2008. 4,000 architects have left the country in the meantime. And let's not even mention the Olympic Games and the havoc it wreaks on cities. So this is the bet that Haggai is making for Yahud Medinata when he calls for the people to build the second temple. He was hoping that the project would galvanize the people and bring in a much-needed energy into a city that had seen better days. The drought and the malaise would be remedied by the sounds of hoisting and hammering. Haggai was not advocating spectacle to distract attention from the maudlin economic forecast. He was not making a big show of things to obscure the flimsiness of the regeneration plan or hiding how lame the second temple will be in comparison to the first. He was very clear that the new temple would not be as glitzy or as bold as its predecessor. And that would be okay because the point was not to build big but to build smart and to build momentum for a project that had the potential to not only transform the day-to-day lives of the underemployed in Yehud Medinata, but to rejuvenate the spiritual and ethical practices of Jewish people at every level of society. From what Haggai recounts and what history tells us, Jerusalem was energized by the temple. A marquee building would set the tone for the city and Jerusalem would once again reclaim its pride of place a place that it continues to hold, for good and for ill, over two and a half thousand years later. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about Tanakhcast. Send a friend an email to say, Hey, would it kill you to check out Tanakhcast? Or even better, write a brief review at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing, really, but it will help other people who might be interested in some Bible learning find this podcast. Or if you want to help in a bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for Tanakhcast and pledge your Shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for... Episode 148, when we begin the 11th book in the Book of Twelve with Zechariah, chapters 1 through 3.